Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Episode 3-3. This one I like a lot. Please, if you have a moment, the previous one was... Very good. It's doing really good with my man, Jesus Gallo, Jorge Masvidal's trainer. Trainer to a lot of MLB legends, man. He's been around for a while. Good episode. Good twist. He goes English, Spanglish. We hit Spanish a little bit. Really look forward to, to that if you haven't checked that one out already. This one now. This one's super cool. Before we get into that, please, please, please subscribe. Appreciate everybody for subscribing, for sharing, for commentating, for hitting me up. Whatever you need on stuff, I got you. Super appreciative of every single one of you. This one's really cool. This one here is with the legend, the legend of Lou Janelle. Lou Janelle, a Dominican with last name Janelle. That's how special this dude is. We talk about so many things, man. New Jersey's finest, so many things. Baseball, growing up in New York, his grandfather, baseball cards, his involvement now as director of US Elite, the New Jersey chapter, new things that he's doing. And one of our favorite topics to talk about, our boy Gary V, his success, how he saw that from way before. Gary's humble beginnings, Lou's been part of it. One of the things I love about Lou a lot is his attention to detail. He, when we met, he sent me, it was probably two days into it, I'll never forget, we were at, I was at the Plaza Hotel, and I was interviewing Ozzy Smith, and he shot me a text. And this dude mapped out this whole plan, man, of, listen, if you come You're speaking at nine to this group, just so organized, man. And as I got to know him, he's like that with his kids. He's like that with people. He maps out strategies and he's really into giving, really into caring. I'm so happy that he's involved with baseball now, not only with his son, Pat, but with helping because he's different, man. He doesn't care about money. He cares about helping kids. He cares about helping them in colleges and that whole experience. Cares about, again, baseball card that's helping bonding with little Lou, his younger son. But the legend of Big Lou is only beginning. So without further delay, I give you, in this episode of A Catch of Positivity, the legend Lou Janelle. Let's go. Like, what are we going to do about this fucking Cubano from the south, down, down in South Florida, putting together the firm with the palm trees behind him. He's a monster. He's controlling the market. Pronounce your last name. Is it Henox or Henu? Henel. They'll say Haneo. Haneo, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They Look at you, man. What's going on? How's everything? Not much, man. Just got off a bunch of Zoom calls with a bunch of kids, and it's my nightly thing now, you know? Kids calling about schools, colleges, events, things that are going on right now. So I usually allocate two hours a night at least to that for these guys. So two hours every night you're talking to kids and parents? That's, that's minimum. I mean, you know, there's a lot going on right now with um, – what, what, what happened with the NCAA, they they just um, extended the dead period, which for people that don't know what that is, um, the NCAA allows college coaches to come out and visit kids on in tournaments, at their camps, um, at prospect camps, et cetera. And because of COVID-19, uh, they extended that period from May 31st through July 31st. 
So a lot of the tournaments that the the, the teams had booked um, were to go to events where college coaches were there and um, they're not there now. So um, guys are changing up their schedules. It's just been crazy. We're, we're trying. And so we created this series called the Stadium Series where we're actually renting minor league stadiums and we're U.S. Elite, the organization, and we're going to have just U.S. Elite teams playing there and we're going to be live streaming the games for for college coaches to see them. So every night it's it's getting on the phone with kids and talking about how they're going to get in front of coaches, what are we doing, things we're doing for them. So, Lou, if somebody would have told you 10 years ago you'd been doing this, they, you'd have thought they were crazy, huh? No, no, I wouldn't have. I would have said, yeah, I am. Um, you would have said, yeah? No, I always love doing this stuff. You know, time goes by, you do, you do different things. I always coached when I was younger. When I was – I started coaching when I was 18 years old. I coach. I actually, when I was 19 years old, I coached a team of 18 year olds and no way. yeah. And then I did that for 18, 19 and 20. And then I wanted to coach in a little league team from 20 till I was 25, 26. And then I got married to my first wife. So obviously that took away my attentions and time to that, to, that to, team that you were coaching Lou. Did you have any relatives on the team or that was just none. for fun? None. You know what it was? I knew a lot of the kids. Actually, I was 19, so I was two years removed from those kids. And I played with a bunch of them. So they had started a thing back in the day called the BBBBs. It was Build Better Boys Baseball or something. Mm -hmm. And these guys wanted to enter the league, and they needed someone to coach. So I just jumped in there, and I you know, I coached. So, you know, funny stories, man. I remember going out to the mound, a kid that I played with, and, you know, he was a tough kid, and he just was a – you know, he, he did not want to come off the mound and, you know, he was a wild man. And I said, it's time to give me the ball. It's, it's a rough day for you. You know, he took the ball, slammed it on the ground. And, uh, after the game, you know, came up to me and said, man, you know how much I respect you. I'm sorry I did that. You know, so it was pretty cool even back then. Um, but I always enjoy coaching. I enjoy coaching kids. I enjoy seeing kids get better. Um, you know, and then have my own kids. And that's, you know, when I stopped really coaching other kids, when I had my own, um, and that's what I pretty much did up until about, you know, I'd say 10 years ago, you know, and, uh, now getting back into it again. Lou, it, let's go step by step. Let's go step. So you were born, I call you the pride of New Jersey. You were born in New Jersey <laughs> or you were born in the Dominican? Where I was, was actually, I was actually born in New York. You're born in New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. And raised in Jersey or in New York? Yeah, left New York when I was probably four years old and moved to Jersey. Okay. High school life, how was that? I know High you always school. had those beautiful green eyes, man. And to yeah. be Dominican with those green eyes, it's like, it's a crime. How was high school for you, man? Were you popular? Were you one of uh, you the know, sports I guys? I, I think I had a high school like a lot of kids, you know. Um, <clears throat> had a great freshman year. Sophomore year, went a little astray, hanging out with a different crowd. Um, then junior, senior year, got back to being serious again. Um, played baseball my freshman high school, didn't play my sophomore year because I went astray, played, you know, junior and senior year. I also played basketball in high school freshman year, um, played basketball my junior and senior year. Um, had a great high school, man. I still have, I still have, oh man, 25 friends that we still stay in touch, all high school friends. We get together, you know, a lot. We see each other at different events and it's a long time ago, but um, loved high school, man. Who was it? What was it funner playing basketball or baseball? You know, it's really funny. You asked me that question. I always, I always loved playing basketball, and I was better in basketball. And I was good in baseball too, but I was really good in basketball. And um, but I loved them both. I mean, you know, back then it was you only played three sports. You played basketball, baseball, football. That was it. That was it. And you know. Um, I, I, I bounced from basketball right to baseball and, and back in those days, there was no such thing as summer baseball. I mean, it was, there was no summer baseball, yeah. you know, you, you hung out in the summer. Lou, this is important to me in high school. What kind of hair did you rock? Was it like that slick back? Did you have it long? Oh no, I had a, I had the bush look, man. Yeah. I wish I had a picture here for you, you guys would die laughing. Oh yeah. I had a, I had a big bush. Black. Hey, it was black back then. Or black brown? hair. Oh yeah, black hair. Black. Any hair. kind of facial hair or nothing? Never. Yet? Oh yeah. No. Actually, you know, I went through a little little mustache period. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that little you know that porn star look, mustache yeah, yeah. look in high school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, everybody goes through. So then, college. So, any yeah, kind of college. Any kind of yeah. college at all or no? 
Yeah, so I went freshman year, I went to a junior college because um, I wasn't sure I wanted to go to school and um, had a bunch of friends of mine that were going to County College of Morris, a good school. Uh, and I went there to play basketball. I played basketball there freshman year with these couple of friends of mine, my best friend who I'm still friends with since fourth grade. We went to school there together for one year. And he actually had been there a year. He was a year older than me. So that's the reason why I decided to go. Then I transferred from there and went to a, a four-year school called Jersey. It was called Jersey City State then. It's now called New Jersey University. Um, and another one of friends of mine uh, and I went there and finished up there with him and at Jersey City State. Had a lot of, you know, it was a commuting school. We didn't live there. Um, commuted every day. I worked all five years in community college and college. I worked at UPS when UPS first started. Wow, that's a job, man. What'd yeah, you do yeah. at UPS? Um, you know, I used to work the five to nine shift and I was a sorter of packages. It was a great job. I mean, you're talking. Is that nine, loading the truck? Is that loading? No, no. The truck? I started out loading the trucks there, which was a, yeah. which was a brutal. bitch. That's brutal. Bitch. Oh, that sucks. Bitch. <laughs> and you know, it's funny that the first two weeks I was there, it was a summertime and I was carrying in one of these rollers they had and I sliced my hand. So, oh my so God. instead of them, instead of them, like, you know, cutting me, I, I guess the guy liked me a little bit or whatever. Um, they sent me in the room to learn how to sort. And it was just like a whole learning. I came back and I became a sorter and I did that for five years, man. And, and it was crazy because 1981 to 1986, I was making $17 an hour, which was nuts. Part time. Wow. You know? Yeah, wow. yeah, man. It was, it was, it was really good. You know, and I actually have one kid I used to ride with and drive with. He just retired from there. Um, Holy shit. With a, with a ton. Because, I mean, UPS had just really started up back in the early 80s. And a lot of those guys that were there from the beginning made a ton of money on stock and uh, employee stock and stuff as it broke. As it, but he did well. He nice. Did well. UPS, then what was your mindset? Were you like, okay, I got to do something different. This is really not for me. What was the next phase? So I was in school doing that. So it wasn't even like oh, the so next phase. School. I was okay. in school working. I always worked, man. I, I delivered papers when I was a kid. I, um, you know, I worked in a chicken place and I hero shop when I was in high school, always had a job. So when I went away to college, that's probably why I didn't go away to school either, because I really enjoyed working. I enjoyed having my own stuff. I always enjoyed being independent, having my own money, um, paid for my own cars, paid for my own school. Just, you know, my grandfather instilled a lot of that. I mean, even though I had my parents, but my grandfather was a big influence in that and uh, being self-sufficient and, you know, being entrepreneurial always, like I was always doing something to make money, you know. Lou, what was the first car? Oh, you're hurting me here. I had a, this is, it's crazy because I just had this conversation with Patrick. My first car was a 1974 Maverick. Okay. All right. I paid $200 for the car. Nice. What it color? Had, it was yellow. Yeah. <laughs> and it had, it had no floor in the back of the driver's seat. The floor had rotted out, so oh we used to call, we used to call it the Fred Flintstone mobile. The Flintstone. <laughs> it was it was hilarious, bro. It was hilarious. So the guys, we put a board back there, but the guys that were back there, you know, I was the only one who had a car because I had a job. I always took care of stuff. Yeah, they used to ride with their feet up. You know what <laughs> I mean? It was nuts. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, Lou, you mentioned your grandfather, man. I know how important that dude was in your mm -hmm. life. Talk about that, man. What what would he instill in you? What what resonates with you till this day those conversations you used to have with him you know my dad was my dad was great too my mom always but you know my grandfather was a different breed man he was the kind of guy he you know again he grew up in dominican republic came to this country in 1941 um with my dad with my uncle and my and my grandmother and guy drove a yellow taxi for 25 years in manhattan you know had a medallion back when medallions were cheap in manhattan and a guy worked from six o'clock in the morning six o'clock at night you know, six days a week, you know, he had a little problem with drinking, um, but he never missed a day's work in 25 years. He would come home, he'd go to the bar, have his drinks, come home, he didn't go to bed. But, um, you know, he always instilled that, that thing of, of being, being, gra being gracious to everybody, helpful to everybody. Sharing was one of his big things, doing for people when you could do, taking care of the less fortunate whenever you could. Um, you know, I remember things going when I was, I used to spend every summer in Dominican Republic, you know, every, every Saturday, we, every Sunday, we come, Saturday, we'd go to the bank and we would cash some money in for singles and we'd go to church on Sundays. And every Sunday walking out of church, he would stand and he would hand out, you know, back in those days, he would hand out, 
$50 of American money. Well, the equivalent of $50 every Sunday. Um, that was a lot of money back in the seventies, you know, and it would always be to, you know, mothers with kids, um, never any men, you know, cause he always felt men could always go out and work. Um, but he would, he'd see women or little older women or, or with kids. So he instilled a lot of, um, you know, giving, giving back, you know what I mean? So I think that's, that's why I do a lot of things I do. I'm, you know, I help a lot of people. I try to help a lot of people. I'm always willing to um, do stuff for people. So, you know, that's, that stuff's ingrained from you when you're young, man, that, that, that becomes part of your DNA. Right. Um, when that's all you're taught. Lou, when did you get into the liquor business? So, so came out of college and it's crazy, but my brother was working for the elevator union in New York. And, you know, I'm in school, I'm going on job interviews. I'll never forget. I want a job interview for Quaker Oats and they wanted to pay me $18,500 a year. Meanwhile, my brother's working the elevator union, getting overtime. He's working seven hours a day and he's making $35,000 a year. And I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go do that for a little while, wow. you know? So that little while turned into five years. I, 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 I worked actually in the World Trade Center for two years um, wow. and doing maintenance and repair with the union. And um, then I got moved from there to a construction job. And I'll never forget, it was the dead of the winter, man. And we were driving to a job site and it was it was like the, the, one of those thermometers on the bank was reading minus five. And I was sitting in my car, I'm 24 years old and I'm like, <laughs> F this, I don't wanna get out of this car. Are you nuts? Um, and I made I made the decision that day, I'm done. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go into sales. And you know, I took a step back of, you know, I went and took a, a job with a cigarette company as a salesman. You know, and, you know, from there I took a job in a, in a, and I was in a cigar company for a year. And then I took a job in the, uh, in a cigar company for three years because it was all related, you know, got to, got to meet. And from there I met a liquor distributor company that was looking to get into the cigar business and they offered me a job. And, you know, I was, I was in that company for 19 years. Um, wow. Um, a liquor distributor in New Jersey, a great job, uh, great people. Um, and then, you know, after 19 years, I had an opportunity to buy into a, a, a couple of liquor brands and run the company for the liquor brands. And, you know, they're small little brands. Nobody's going to even know what they are. Um, but it was a chance for me. I had, I looked at it. I said to myself, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old and it's time to, uh, if I'm going to do it and do something for my, you know, on my own and not work for somebody now's, now's the time, now's the time. you know? So, you know, it's been good. It's, it's, it's a grind. Everything's a grind. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, don't regret one minute of it. It's, it's all been great. All been cool. Lou, one of your biggest assets to me is your ability to plan out and map a plan on stuff on how you're going to do it, how you're going to attack a job, a situation, everything. What age did you start doing that? When did you learn to really like come up with a plan? Always, man. I, I have, you know, I think, and, and I really look back at that. That's a good question, man. I look back at that. I think a lot of it had to do with sports. You know, when I was a younger kid, and, you know, everybody talks, yeah, I was good when I was young. I was really good when I was young. Like, I was that kid that everybody talked about in Little League and bitty basketball and all that stuff. And, but, and I was always forward thinking. I was always aggressive. I was always, you know, I knew how to play the game. I knew how to – so I think it started early. Um but I really, truly believe where that planning came from was, you know, when I grew up and this is crazy, my, you know, my mom and dad both worked and I had a brother and sister, my sister, two years younger than me, brother, four years younger than me. And if you can picture this, I was in fourth grade. So what's that? Nine, 10 years old. I used to take, I used to pick up my brother and sister at 12 o'clock at lunchtime. I used to walk them three blocks home for lunch. I used to make their lunch. Wow. And walk them back to school, pick them up after school, and bring them home because my my mom worked. She didn't get home from work till five thirty, wow. and I I think that that taught me a lot of of being responsible and planning and being you know and and um you know kids of today and not knocking the kids of today it's a lot easier today for kids and parents uh, money's very different today so kids you know kids get a whole lot more so back then you were forced to be a little more mature early 
And I think that's kind of where a lot of that came from because I always had to be responsible when I was younger. And um, so I did that just graduated on. I just like being organized, man. I don't, I don't like being all over the place. I'm prepared. You're like I'm, right now. I got a, right now, right now I got a million things going on and I'm like, I'm like a little freaked out. Of my You're head shaky. Cause, You're like, cause oh, this I, is- <laughs> nah, cause I just got so much going on that yeah. like, I don't like that. So to, you know, when I hang up with you, I'm going to be organizing some stuff. We're going to organize some ready, stuff. Getting, you know, yeah. Lou, what did the liquor business? What 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 did what does it teach you, man? What what did you learn from it that could help you people in life? What did you learn from the liquor business? The, the liquor business is listen. It, it selling any product, whether you're selling, you know, lipstick or you're selling, you know, Coach HP and the love and all that stuff. It's all the same, man. It's just product. You just learn how to sell the product. Um, the liquor business is like selling whether I was selling cigars or I was selling cigarettes. Um, I always say I can, you know, put me in any situation. I can sell anything. Once I learn what it is, I'll sell it. You know, so if I'm right now, I'm working with kids to, uh, you know, organization to build some baseball teams. You're selling that, you know, um, it's just, it's just another, uh, just a thing. It's just another thing to learn and sell. Um, but you gotta have, you gotta have the ability. I think a lot of that has to do too with, you know, having the ability to be confident and, once you learn what it is, whether it's you're selling love like Coach AP, you're, you're confident, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. If you're confident in the product you're selling and you understand it, um, uh, it's easy. I mean, to me, it's it's easy. Lou, we had a conversation probably like two months ago over a wine. Mm-hmm. You, 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 they okay. called you out on a wine. And what 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 brand was it what type of i'm not a i've never drank in my life so i'm so so explain to the people people what that yeah a lot of people won't won't know this one but listen like anything else in the in the business there's so many brands out there um and i'll I'll give you a liquor story brand after this one which probably will be will resonate with people but you know i was out in uh in santa barbara and i was where i was just a peon manager in my company back then with not a lot of responsibility we went we went to visit this winery in santa barbara and I tasted this wine. I was like, my God, this is just beyond. So I was talking to the owners. They say, oh, yeah, we only make 100 cases of this, 200 cases of this. So I come back and I tell the vice president of the company, man, I found it. I found the wine. <laughs> and he's like, Lou, we don't need another $40 Pinot Noir. We can't sell the three or four we have. Cool. So about a month later, the magazine that the industry knows, Wine Spectator, comes out with an issue on Pinot Noirs. And and the three Pinot Noirs they had were rated 100, 199. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> meanwhile, when that happened, he's like, isn't that the brand you told me about? Yeah. Yep. Gone now. Somebody else has it. So, uh, but you miss those. And and I tell people, I'm sure people that are listening to this will know a little brand called Fireball. Um, mm-hmm. Fireball absolutely blew up, you know, about, about 10 years ago. Um, that brand, when I was in my old company, was put in front of me. Gentleman came to see me uh, through another relationship, put it in front of me, and I said to him, you know what, dude, nobody's drinking cinnamon whiskey. You know, and meanwhile, now it's a four or five million case brand. So, you know, listen, you 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 flail at some and you and you win at some, but um, yeah, that's 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 two stories in the in the wine business that that I uh... Lou, let's talk before we get into what you're doing now. With USC, let's talk fantasy baseball. <laughs> fantasy baseball. How does one get into fantasy baseball? What's the point of fantasy baseball? How fun is fantasy? Baseball? I've never done anything of that, but I always hear people talking about it. You know, talk to me about that. You know, coach. Um, fan- those who are competitive, and you and you start getting on later on, and you're not playing the game anymore, whatever you enjoyed, trying to be as close to it as you can. Um, you know, guys retire from the game, they become coaches, guys retire from the game, they get into the front office. Well, you know, peons like us, we retire from the game and we, we start playing the fantasy game. So it's funny. There's a, a guy that I think you're pretty familiar with. That's a friend of mine, you know, Gary V, you know, Gary and his Gary in his old days used to have a, a wine store that his father still owns wine library and a bunch of the guys I used to sell to wine library and, bunch of the guys one day I walked in and said, Lou, Lou, you got to be in our fantasy baseball league. So that was um, 2002. And wow. we created the first fantasy baseball league 
Wine Library Fantasy League. And it was kind of a joke the first year, you know. Um, guys didn't know what the hell. They knew what they were doing but didn't. You know, everybody was making stupid trades. and um, But then we created the league every year, and it was amazing. We did, we did an American League, National League only teams, which was tough because you can only draft American League teams and National teams. But this thing has evolved now into this monster that, you know, we, we've got 20 teams in the league. And I would say there's probably – I want to say there's probably half a dozen of the originals still really? left, still left in the league. Yeah, and you know Gary, of course, is still in there, and AJ, his brother, um, my son, who, little, who holds Lou, little Lou's in it too, right? Yeah, he came in. You know, we let him in after when he was able to. <laughs> he to, got grandfathered in. He got grandfathered in. Yeah. Who has the most titles? Who's won the most? You know, it's funny. A guy just won back to back years in our new league. It's the first time anybody's ever done that. Um, the most titles. I actually think he might be the only one with two. I don't really? think any – yeah, I don't think anybody has one, too. I, I, I can't remember. When was your last one, Lou? I never won. You haven't won yet? Dude, I literally lost one year the last night, the 8 o'clock game on Sunday night. No way. Yep, yep. I literally lost the last night, 8 o'clock. It was in the bag. And this dude had one guy going, and he was, I think, four for four. And just, I literally lost on last night. That was devastating. It was devastating wow. um, to think you had it. You, but, talked about, you talked about Gary there real quick. Really quick, man. What do you think makes that guy so special? You know, you talked about, you asked me, you know, why was I different my grandfather? And um, and a lot of it came from, you know, his teachings of just being thankful and grateful. And and um, and that's why Gary and I think became friends, because I saw a lot in him when I first met him, you know, in, in, two, in 1999, 2000. Um, just just the human he is, man. He's, you know, he's evolved into this thing today that I, I look at and I say to myself, wow, you know, and, and, and I see who he is. And I know the message and the influence he has right now. Is just tremendous, and I and I tell him all the time how proud I am of him um, for for speaking what he speaks to, you know, in the world today where there's so much negativity and stuff that's going on. Um, but true and true, from the day I met him, he's always been that way. I mean, obviously he was younger then, but he always had that caring about his employees, um, always looking out for his employees' best interests. Um, you know, when he was running the wine store for his father. And he cared about, you know, the other part for me, why I really appreciated him, I respected him was he also had respect for the people he was doing business with. Um, he always treated them with respect. You know, he did what he said he was going to do always. He never reneged on anything he ever did. So um, he's just, a, you know, listen, I tell him all the time, he's a superhuman. He's he's involved. He's, he's evolved into a superhuman. And, you know, I'm proud of him. And I tell him all the time, like, listen. I mean, you are who you are today, and I don't care how big you ever get. You're the guy I always met, um, and he's never changed. He's never changed one iota. He's just gotten better, to be honest with you. Just gotten really? better. Huh? Yeah, ah, that's awesome. Sports card. Now we get into the sports card world. I had no idea sports cards were big. Again, my dad <laughs> never believed in anything, so I never bought any card. He never bought me anything. So, sports cards, dude. How is it now? You back in the the sports car world? When I stayed in that room right there, I saw a lot of sports cards. Yeah. How does that feel, man? To have that come back now? You know, another connection I had to Gary. That's you know one of the funnest times I had in sports cards was back in two thousand and three, and it's when LeBron James was a rookie, and that class was a crazy draft class. Um, there were seven or eight big time guys that were in that draft, but LeBron was the guy. And I used to remember, you know, Gary would text me and say, you come into the store, you come into the store. We're going to go to, we're going to go to card shop. We're going to buy some cards. And we would go to the, the local card shop that was near him. And we'd buy boxes of, of cards and we'd sit in his apartment in Edison and just tear open the packs, you know? And, and it was nuts. Like we would sit there and anytime somebody opened the pack and got a LeBron James, you know, we'd scream LeBron James. And then we'd scream the next guy and, and I think about those days, it was like, it was, it was nuts. You know, I was doing it in the 90s early on and then just stopped for a while, got married. So, you know, it wasn't important. Plus, there was a glut of it. But then early 2000s, it was a fun thing that we did. Gary, Brandon, who works with, you know, at Wine Library and AJ. AJ was younger than AJ was. AJ was still in high school when we were doing that. Um, my son, Lewis wasn't involved because he was really young then. Um, he was probably six or seven years old. So 
Um, he really didn't, you know, he wasn't involved with us when we were doing that. He came back, but um, we did that for like a year. It was fun, man. Um, and then it kind of dissipated away again. The, the card market, they got, they got really greedy. They were overproducing cards. Um, you know, then, then if everybody remembers back in 2008, the world went upside down. The economy was in the tank. Um, so sports cards went into the tank, you know. But we've just seen now in the last, you know, 18, 24 months, it's just been another whole revival of the card industry. Um, more and more kids, a lot of younger people getting involved in, in sports cards, which quite honestly is driving the prices insanity on some of this stuff. Um, like today, Lewis and I were, were talking about a Jason Dominguez card that was just released. He's the 16-year-old Yankee who's right. never played a day. And one of his autograph cards sold for $10,000 today. Like, you know, to me, it doesn't make any logical wow. sense. But um, there's a craze going on right now. Um, it's fun, though. You know, to me, it's also like Lewis and I today, we spent yesterday and today, um, I walked into a Target store and happened to see some cards on the shelf. And I texted him and said, are these any good? He texts me back with exclamation points, Dad, buy them all. You know what I mean? And I bought 42 boxes of the cards that were on the, on the no counter. No way. <laughs> and I don't even want to tell you, you know, we made, we made like $2,000 nice. just sell, selling the boxes. And it was fun, him and I, going back and forth. He's texting me because he was selling them. Dad, we got this guy wants, he wants, he says $50. What do you think? And I text him back. It's all yours, kid. You make the decisions. <laughs> nice. You know, so it's a fun thing that him and I do together now, too. Um you know, we get together with Gary not as much as we, you know, not as much as we like to. He's a busy dude. Um, but when we get together, we always have some boxes of cards. And, you know, as you know, when we were in his office, the first thing he did was throw me a pack of cards. Throw you a pack of cards and go yeah, ahead, buddy. Open yeah, it. Yeah, because he, he knows, you know, my favorite thing is to do that. So um, so doing cards is fun, man. It's 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 just another thing, especially with friends and, um, you know, family, like my son now who's into it too. So it's, it's just fun. It's another That's place. awesome. And then we had the, the big event. Last year there was an event in Chicago. You didn't, yes. you weren't able to go to that one. Yeah, I was busy. I couldn't. Real work was taken. Real over. work was over. Yeah. This year was going to be in July, right? It was in July in Atlantic City. Atlantic yeah. City, but Corona now moved it to December. Moved it to December, first week of December. Yeah. So we're going to be there. Let's hope. There. Yeah, let's hope it's. Uh, let's hope it goes. We're going to be there, standing strong. That's correct. All right, now we fast forward 2019-ish. You become. Involved, your son Pat now, sophomore in high school, prospect, great student, great kid. You start seeing his talent. What makes you jump aboard now and say, you know what? Let me invest my time heavily and my heart into youth baseball and the high school level travel ball baseball that is US Elite. What made you get a part of that? You know... It's funny, this whole this whole travel baseball thing, again, having Patrick and, you know, Lewis played baseball a little bit, but he only played till he was like 12, 13. Um, he, he liked football better, so he wound up playing football in high school. And being involved with Patrick and this youth baseball thing, you know, youth baseball is nuts. It, it's, it's such a money grab in so many places. Um, people taking advantage of parents. You know, every parent wants to see the best in their kid. You know, back when I say, back in the old days, money wasn't like it was today. You know, parents have no no problem whipping out their credit card to buy a $500 bat. And if they think a travel organization that costs $3,000 to play in is where their kid needs to go, they, they do it just because the other friend's doing it, you know. So Patrick and I played in a really high-level organization when he was, believe it or not, 10, 11, and 12. We were traveling all over the place. And to me, it's how he got to be the player he is today because he really learned to love the game to respect the game and work hard because he always had to work hard um, to keep up with some of these kids that were on this team. Um, so after 12 years old, travel baseball gets nuts because after 12, kids leave the little field and they go to the big field. And when that happens, they usually, you know, fragment off and they they go to different uh, organizations. So Pat had the ability of friends of ours said, hey, I'm going to go play with this team, U.S. Elite. And I'm like, great, cool. You know, let me know how it goes. So that fall, we played with somebody else. We just played a couple games with. And he called me up during the fall, and he's like, listen, man, things are going great here. You should come play with us one weekend. So we went to play with them. It was towards the end of October 
and Mark Heitzel, who's the national director for U.S. Elite. Um, Pat went to play. After we played, he came up to us, started talking to us and at the diner. And me just listening to him about how he felt about kids, how he wanted to get kids better, um, teach them the right way to play the game, and and how he wanted, you know, he took an interest in Patrick. And I just felt comfortable. I'm like, this guy is, it sounds he's speaking different about the experience about playing travel baseball. So we wound up joining US Elite and Patrick went on to his, you know, 14 year old season. And it was amazing. You know, US Elite organization is built on a model that Mark, um, you know, created. He calls it uncommon standards. And these uncommon standards that he's created are all the uncomfortable things that kids don't want to do. And, you know, they say to be great, you got to do uncomfortable things. Um, so they carry themselves differently. They approach umpires differently. Um, there's no walking on the field, little things like that. Um, then there's also uncommon standards for the parents. You know, a big part of travel baseball is the craziness of the parents. Mm -hmm. um, we educate the parents on, on trying to um, enjoy watching their kids play travel baseball. Um, not putting so much pressure on their kids, um, letting them know that their kid doesn't go out to play bad and don't pound them when the game's over. You know, Lou, when you were before you were in this position and Pat was 11, 12, were you always this calm as a parent? Were you a little more excited? How was your temperament as a parent? As so, a so that's what US League did for me too. It taught me it's the reason why I wanted to, wanted to be there. I got sucked into the whole craziness of. You know, we got to win. We got to win. 11-year-old baseball means everything, and it right. doesn't. You right. know, I tell mom and dads today, um, I look at them in the face and say, guys, no one's ever going to remember an 11-year-old championship trophy in a tournament. It's nice when they win. No one's saying nobody wants to win. But at what cost? I mean, a lot of these parents are literally the pressure they put on these 10, 11, and 12-year-old kids. And, you know, when Pat was 11, I fed into that. I, 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 I put a lot of pressure on him when he was 11 years old. Um, excuse me. And I learned after that 11 year old year sitting down and talking to him because he wasn't having fun, you know? And, um, if, if your kid's not having fun playing baseball when he's 10, 11 and 12, I swear to God, he's not going to have fun when he's 13, 14, 15, because the game just gets tougher. It's harder. It gets harder, it's tougher harder and tougher, man. So, so if they can't have fun when it's, when they're that young and, you know, parents, if you can't have fun when it's that young, I promise you, you're not going to have fun as it gets older. So we try to influence the parents and we try to, you know, part of Uncommon Standards is also talking to the parents about, you know, the trials and tribulations of being a parent with a travel kid. And last, our coaches, you know, our coaches are also held to Uncommon Standards. And there's a whole, you know, expectation for the coaches. And now state directors, which I've become, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, you know, there's Uncommon Standards for us. And um, so everybody's held to the same standard. Um College baseball and the relationships that we have with some of the colleges in the United States are amazing because, you know, we're doing the things that they want to see in kids. They see too many organizations out there and too many kids entitled moms speaking for them, dads speaking for them, carrying their bat bags. Um, you know, and that's not that's not the way of uh, teaching a kid to be responsible. And, you know, when they're on the baseball field, man, they got to figure it out. Um, and if mom and dad are always figuring it out for them, um, it's going to be tough. And those are the kids you see looking up in the stands at the games. And, you know, that stuff tears me apart when I see kids doing that because um, – and it's hard, you know, sometimes to talk to a parent about that. They don't want to hear it. They think that that they know it. And so you just got to let them go through it. Um, but you try hard to, to influence them. So we hold our parents to standard. We hold the kids um, we just don't take anybody into the organization. You know, tonight, one of my Zoom calls was with a kid who hit our website, was interested in coming to play for us. He lives in New Jersey and I get on with him and we have a talk about uncommon standards. We have a talk with them about expectations. We also ask the parents what they're looking for in an organization, because sometimes what we do isn't isn't what they're looking for. Right. You know, so right. um, we part ways at that point instead of it being later on down the road. Um so I took over, you know, the state directorship with a partner, Curtis Wires in New Jersey. And, you know, we're building some teams in New Jersey. And, you know, slowly but surely, we're, we'll be at six teams this fall. 
And we're having fun doing it, man. We're, we're, we're mentoring kids. We're talking to kids, um, helping kids with their dreams to get in to play college baseball. And, you know, it's one thing every single kid says they want to play college baseball. I want to play college baseball at D1. But, but not just not wanting to play baseball at D1 isn't everything. There's so much more you got to do. Um, there's so much more the way you need to act. There's so much more the way you need to carry yourself than just picking up a bat or throwing a ball or making a play. Um, there's a lot of those dudes out there. We tell them all the time. There's a lot of dudes like you out there. Um, what's going to separate you is your character, your humility, your gratitude. Um, you know, tell them mom and dad, thank you. Every, you know, thank you for all the money they're spending for you on travel baseball, being happy, smiling on the field, you know, those are the things yeah. that you look at any number, any top college program in baseball right now. Those dudes are all whooping it up and they're happy whether they're on the bench or they're playing, man. And, um, you know, we tell these kids in a 60 game college baseball season, if you if you're drooping your shoulders right now in high school, you're not going to get no through way. There's no, there's no way. way you're getting through the season. Lou, so, one of the benefits of you being a state director is now you have access to college coaches, a lot mm -hmm. of D1 coaches. What have you learned from that experience? What what are these guys looking for that they tell you? Because they're getting a lot of your guys now that are that they're mm -hmm. taking to these schools. What what have you learned from that process? Well, let me just tell you, D one, D two, D three, these guys are all cut from the same cloth. You know, um, whether I'm talking to a D three coach or a D two coach, they're all great dudes, all of them. Um, they've changed a lot, man. They're there's no more of the orgurito coaches in the world anymore. You know, the guys that bark at these guys. These guys are very um, inclusive. They're they're looking for kids that have you know all quality play. They're not just looking for players anymore. They're looking. They got so many kids to pick from, but you know uh, they all look for the same thing, man. You know, I, I tell parents usually the five questions they always ask us about a kid is you know one of the first questions they always ask is how are they in school, and that's no joke. Kids think we're joking around when we tell them that. But they got so many kids to pick from. If they got a kid that's got a three A GPA and a kid that's got a two A GPA, and that last spot is there, and the and the and the three A kid might not be as good as the two A, they're going to take the three A kid. It's just it's just fact. You know, they're recruiting parents. They ask how are the parents. You know, one of the top five questions all the time. Um, they ask a lot about does the kid know his way around the gym. You know, we all know today, man. Training has become insane. Um, they want to know if a kid is coachable. You know, does he when he when he's given, you know, some, con, you know, constructive feedback or criticism of his play and feedback on his play? You know, is he is he receptive to that? Does he work to put it in, in into into action? Um, those are things that they ask about. You know, um, they don't they never ask about what's his batting average. Right. You know, what's his exit below? Um, you know, they want to know a kid who's his, his arm velo, and if he's a pitcher, especially, they want to hear that a little bit. But um, even that is, is you know, they, they have their numbers that they all want to metric-wise and look at kids. But they're looking for character kids, man. They're looking for kids that um, have great families, come from great families. And, um, you know, they it, it's just it's just it's nuts. It's all changed. And um It's just they have so many guys to pick so from. Many guys. So Lou, many guys. What are you enjoying now the most of being involved this heavily that you're involved now? The kids, man. I, you know, I've always loved kids. I love I love being around kids. My wife says it to me all the time. She's like, how come you're picking that kid up and that kid up? And you're driving him home. And you're taking him there. I'm taking him there. You know, why are you always doing things for this guy on Pat's team, that guy on that team? And I always tell him, you know, he's Pat's teammate. And at the end of the day, I you know, I teach Patrick that – If you want to win, um, everybody's got to be in the sandbox together playing well. Everybody's got to be loving each other, respecting each other, supporting each other. You know, so I tell all the time. It's what I do for kids. I love it, man. I want to give kids opportunity to get better. I want to give kids the, the you know, the drive and the ambition. And whatever I can impart on them, um, I do. Um, and, um, you know, it's fun. It's fun to see. Tonight I was on with another kid who, you know, I looked down at my list right now. I got him talking to five D1 schools, two D2 schools, and three D3, three, three D3 schools. You know, we're talking tonight about the schools and um, what's he's thinking. And as I had his mom and dad on the call too, because a couple of these schools are asking me about him. Where's he's at? Where's he at? Nice. Um, so 
that's fun, you know, and it's fun. And, and what's going to be ultimately more fun is when he finally does make the decision to where he wants to go play um, and me telling him, hey, you got to make the best decision where you're going to play, where you're going to be happy, you know, not just because the school says Vanderbilt or not because the school says Clemson, you know, to tell all your buds that it's Clemson. And then you go to Clemson and you sit for two years. Um, you want to play, you know, right. you want to be able to develop. And if you're sitting on the bench, it's tough to develop. Um, so what's going to be, what's going to be fun for me is when he ultimately picks and then watching him when he, as he goes through as he grows up. Yeah. Yeah. A couple more questions, Lou. Lou, what have you learned in this process? Anything you've learned that you didn't know before? You know, dealing with, you know, you, you learn always when you're dealing with people, you learn more and more about people. Um, you learn more and more about how they think, more and more about what moves them, um, you know, what people don't like. Um, and that's fun for me because if you stop learning that, you know, I, I always want to hear what, what what people are thinking about, man. It's just it's just the way I am. And, um, you know, most people, what they want, they want to be happy. They want to have they want their kids to, to kids to, you know, flourish. And um yeah, that's it. It's 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 just been great, great learning from people, meeting more people. It's cool. Lou, Yankees or Mets? What's your team? Yankee fan, man. Yankees for Yankee, Yankees. You bro. think we're gonna have a 2020 season? Your opinion? Yes, no. I I think baseball's dead. I, I think the I think the owners, um, quite frankly, are putting all these obstacles up uh, because they don't want the liability of what's going on with COVID. I think they're gonna they're losing a ton of money either way. So I think they're just going to wind up punting to next year. The whole season, huh? I, I just, it's a shame, yeah. but, but I think that's, you know, I, I can't debate about owners and money and should they get paid the full season playing half a season? You know, I think the world has changed and I think that everybody's got to change the way they think a little bit right now, whether you're in a union contract or you're a union teacher and now you got to be on zooms that you never did before. I think the players need to give a little bit too, but I also think the owners are putting the obstacles up so high that it's forcing them to say no. And I, I truly believe they, they don't want to play. I don't think they want the liabilities of not only the players, but the employees, the fans that are coming in the stands, um, you know, and we could debate whether COVID's coming back or not, but at the end of the day, um, that's my gut feeling. I could be wrong, but that's what I think. Last question, Lou. One disco song that everybody should know. Your opinion. One disco song and singer that comes to the top of your head. Just give well, me one. You just you killed me there because you know my favorite thing, which which is baseball's my favorite, like family, all that stuff. But the best thing in my life is music, man. If you go to my Facebook page, which I know a lot of guys here on don't go on Facebook, but I don't post anything other than music on Facebook because I tell people there's so much noise in the world. I want right. them listening to, to nice noise music. So disco song, man. Oh, my God. There's, there's so many, bro. Let's That's, do your last post. What was the last song you told people to listen to? My last post. Ooh. That, let's that, see. Let's see what my last post was. And I'm going to play it as, as you say it. We're going to play it. Let's go. Why? Are you on my Facebook right now? No, no, no. I'm not. But I got to get on it. Uh, I, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna add you, bro. You ever hear this? Here's my last song. Mama used to say, "Mama used to say" was the song. Mama I mean, used to say. Yeah. Let's see by, if I can. By who? Let's see. Let's see if I can find it right here. No, it's, let's see here. No, it's not on. I can't get on. It's by a guy named Junior Chiscobi. Mama used to say. Yeah, love Junior, Mama used to say, "Hold on, watch my final." Mama, use right here. Look, Mama used to say, "Was one got it right now." Ready? Here we go. Turn yours off. There we go, Junior Jacoby. So, oh man! <laughs> so, so when you go on my Facebook page, all you see is that's all I post, man. Because I, I truly, social media is the it's it's good, 
Right. And you know my feelings on that. It's good and it's bad. But um, right now, there's just so much uh, rhetoric and there's been for a while. Um, but I've always been that way, too. I just think and, and I have friends, you know, like we all do have tons of friends and they all go crazy. They all follow my page just for my music because it's not my music. It's just I'm posting it. Yeah, you feel it, dude. That That's is awesome. So, um, Lou, last so. words, last words yep. for the people, man. Anything you want to share? Anything people should look forward to the rest of this 2020 year that you can um, come up with? Well, I think, you know, first and foremost, that that we're getting through this thing that we've been going through for the last couple of months. Um, it looks like that. It looks like it's getting better. Let's hope that that it's going away so life can start getting back to and people can start getting back to some sense of normality, um, whether it's work, at home, friends, seeing family. You know, I saw a bunch of friends this week and I haven't seen in a long time. So, you know, that's first. Um, you know, second, HP, what you're doing, man, um, I've told you this, I think. You know, you know, I, you know how I feel about Gary and what he's doing and what he's done in his life. I think you speak the same thing. I think that's why we connected so much um, because I see, I see, you know, your words and I see your heart and I see what you're trying to get done out there. And again, back in this world that there's so much noise um, that's missing. So, um, you know, so I close with keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, you're going to, you're going to be a star soon. And there's no, no doubt. My, there's no, 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 no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Um, because, you know, being the way you are, you can't, you got only one thing. You can only win. You can't lose um, doing that. So you're the best. It. Thank you, brother. All right, bro. Very few people like you, man. You're a special guy. Wanted to share. I want people to hear your story because you're winning for a reason and you're going to, what you're doing in baseball, few organizations are doing you're going to be a, tra a trailblazer in this man i'm calling it now i predicted this year four <laughs> people that have really 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 become really popular and nobody knew that yet you're going to be the fifth by That's this cool. time next year you're going to see how many teams you have you're going to become the guy the organization everybody's going to model what you're doing brother so i can't thank uh, you enough bro god bless you i love you you know that have right, a good man. night. Thank you for doing this for us, okay? Preston, Preston, thank you too, brother, for putting this together. He's out there. All right, buddy. All right, man. See you. Bye. Thank Bye. you. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusive Apply. See site for details.